0: Of course, by the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at the first four verses this morning uh, for our edification uh, and continued growth in the will of God. Matthew 6, 1. Let me begin reading there in these four verses. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you." I'm using as a subject this morning for these verses righteousness without hypocrisy. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you uh, for the living word of God, your word, the words that are enunciated from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to hearts here today. Uh, change our thinking. Renew our minds. Grow us in grace. Minister to every need of every person the real need, the deep need, the need that they're not even aware of today, for your own glory, for their growth in grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Righteousness without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a common failing among human beings. I think we could all say yes to that. Professions of religion are no exception. Do understand that. It doesn't matter uh, what religion someone's in, uh, that is a reality. In fact, the story is told of an Eastern ascetic holy man who covered himself with ashes as a sign of his humility. And he regularly sat on a prominent street in a city. When tourists asked his permission to take his picture, the mystic would, get this, rearrange the ashes to give the best image of his destitution and humility. (laughs) Obviously, this man uh, was a play actor. He sought to impress others with his alleged devotion. He was really just a hypocrite. Hypocrisy, however, is not to be practiced by the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our devotion to him is to be genuine. We're to be authentic in what we do in terms of our righteousness, our practice of righteousness whatever we do on his behalf whatever we do in his service we are to not do it to give the impression to others how spiritual we are how holy we are in fact to do that sort of thing is to prostitute the whole point of what we do for the lord jesus thus warns about hypocrisy in the passage that we're looking at this morning he is warning us about the practice of hypocritical righteousness. And the warning, do understand, it is necessary. And we need it. And the warning is located in verse 1, which I just read a moment ago. And we'll give that verse this heading a warning about hypocrisy. I've just said a moment ago that the warning is needed. Indeed, it is. Because Christians can succumb to the seductive power of temptation. And corrupt their uh, righteous practice in doing them for the wrong audience. The wrong audience. We are never to do what we do for the wrong audience. So Jesus says here in verse 1, beware. Beware. The word in the original conveys the meanings of, number one, uh, to give heed to. Second meaning, watch out for. I like that second meaning especially, watch out for, because we have to be on the watch out for, the potential for us to be hypocritical in the display of our righteousness. My neighbor, to the west of us, my wife and I, has on his gate, his fence, a sign that says, Beware of Dog. He tells us and everyone else, watch out for the canine, for he is dangerous. Christians need to watch out for the danger of practicing their righteousness before men, because to do so is dangerous. It's dangerous to their spiritual health. It it can corrupt your service, corrupt your worship, corrupt your practice, uh, and make you a hypocrite. And do understand the threat is constant. It's not something that comes every blue moon, as it were. It's a constant threat. Hence, the verb form Jesus used in the, is in the present tense. It's beware. Beware. We are to constantly be on guard. We are to be vigilant. We must not relax our vigilance. Temptation doesn't. Also, the word is a command of our Lord. The way we succeed in being the kind of believers that we're to be in terms of our practice of righteousness is to obey the word of God. Obey what Jesus says in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to be noticed by men. Now, let me define this word righteousness. Righteousness is a general term for acts of devotion and religious duty which conform to the will of God. That's what the righteousness is here. It's not imputed righteousness. It is the righteousness that we put into practice on a daily basis. It's the practice that we do as beatitude people, as people who've been born again. Because we've been transformed by the grace of God, we can do these things. They conform to the will of God. And Jesus here in this passage, actually, um, it, it's a long passage. It runs all the way down to verse 18, and he gives three examples of righteousness. Practicing your righteousness. Giving, we're, gonna talk, we're talking about that this morning. The other is prayer, and the third is fasting. Three uh, examples of religious duty that conforms to the will of God jesus is teaching us now we're talking about giving this that's the subject matter uh, this morning in terms of an example of how you practice righteousness the right way now we're not to do what we do to be noticed by men And that word, noticed, and this is really very interesting. You wouldn't know this unless you understood what the Greek says. Theonomai is a word from which our English word theater is derived. Theater. Theomai doesn't simply mean to look at. It means purpose. The one who wants to be noticed does so on purpose. He is purposing or she is purposing to impress others with her or his practice of righteousness. It's a performance. Therein lies the downside according to Jesus. That person, you notice in the text, you have no reward with your father who is in heaven When a person behaves that way, when they're doing it on purpose, when they're designed to uh, deign to do their practice of righteousness to impress others, like that Easter mystic we opened the sermon with, there's no reward from God the Father. A choice is presented to us. Be noticed by men or be rewarded by our Father who is in heaven. Now let me explain the significance of the difference, why this choice should leave you with only one choice. The approval of men is transient. They'll approve you today, ignore you tomorrow. It's temporary. It's temporary. It has no eternal value but when the father rewards you he takes notice and he sees that you do it because you're really doing it because you're devoted to him guess what he will reward you it's eternal eternal in character now let me expand further and so we'll understand this god does not reward men please men pleasers who rob him of his glory When you seek to take what you do for the Lord because he is the one who saved you, empowered you, changed you, enabled you to do the righteous practices, and then to act as if it's all from you, by you, that displeases God and he will not give you a reward for that. It's come from him. We're to give him glory. I know what you're thinking. We're not to do it to be noticed by men. But I remember because I learned it back in Sunday school. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. Let your light shine before men in in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven say well i don't understand this jesus says we're not to do it to be noticed by men but earlier in this sermon he says uh let your light shine you know your godly life so and your good works so that you may glorify your. they got to see it well let me hasten to help us understand uh, these verses verse one of uh, matthew six and uh, verse 16 of matthew five do not stand in contradiction to one another The one in Matthew 6, 1, Jesus is denouncing the pursuit of self-glory. Matthew 5, 16, the motivation is the glory of God. You can't help but in your godly living, you can't help but living a godly life. People will notice you. You are a person who will be seen. But if you're motivated to do it all for the glory of God, that is acceptable to him. But if you're motivated to do it for yourself... There's no spiritual reward for self-glorification. None. And I'm going to tell you something in case you didn't know. A little secret. God knows. You ain't fooling him. (laughs) He knows what motivates us. So Jesus is telling us and he he is talking to us. And the reason he had to do this is because the scribes and the Pharisees, they were past masters at this stuff. They were hypocrites par excellence. (laughs) I mean, they knew how to do the thing. You read the scripture, you read the New Testament and they knew how to be hypocritical, did they? Jesus said, my followers, you don't be that way. You don't be that way. A warning about hypocrisy, our Lord says. "It's what he's teaching us. As we move to verse 2, we have a new heading, an example of hypocrisy. Example of with hypocrisy. With the warning given that those who perform righteousness to be seen by men will not garner a reward from the Father jesus tells us how to practice righteousness without hypocrisy how to be unhypocritical in the practice of our righteousness you notice in verse two so when you give to the poor you notice what the lord says here so when not if uh, giving to the poor is uh, an expected practice of the believer hmm. he'd say if you know when in fact that that give to the poor those words translates a single Greek term that can also be translated into English as get this pity compassion acts of mercy alms all of those four words can be translated. So what this is saying, when you give to the poor, it's an act of mercy. It demonstrates the compassion of God. It's an act of righteousness because it is what he wants us to do. Therefore, it um, conforms to the will of God. And I'm going to tell you, it's in the Old Testament as well. The patriarch Job. Job suffered mightily. He lost his wealth, health, his children. In the 29th chapter of Job, he was recounting all of his blessings, how it was before the calamity hit that God had ordained. And one of the things that he recounted that he did prior to the things that happened to him, the great calamity and tragedy. In Job twenty nine, twelve, he stated that he delivered the poor who cried out for help. Job. He, he was a blameless man. And when the poor needed help, he helped them. In Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 15, some instructive words here we want to look at briefly, beginning at verse 7 of Deuteronomy 15, and uh, the Lord has given instruction here. What do you do for the brother who's fallen on hard times? Now, this reflects the mind of God. Hmm. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers... In any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him, and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? That there is no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near. Oh, let me explain this for those of you who perhaps don't know what this means. The seventh year, the sabbatical year, every seven years, debts were forgiven. Whatever had been loaned, the person who had the loan, he didn't have to pay it back. And so here's a poor brother needs a loan and you want a loaner, but you're thinking, yeah, I I want my money back. But he can't get it back before the year of loan forgiveness. The seventh year, the year of remission. So I don't think I'm going to loan him the money because I ain't getting it back. That's what was going on. And that's so like human beings, isn't it? God says, don't do that. Don't you do that. Notice your eye is hostile toward your brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may cry out to the Lord against you, and it will be sin in you. Ooh, wow! You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. You got to have the right attitude. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you at all your work and all your undertakings. Notice that. God says, I'll bless you. You go ahead and give. I'll take care of you. Then he says, for the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother. To your needy and poor in the land. The reason the poor will never cease to be in the land is because Israel's disobedience. They failed to comply with the Mosaic covenant the way they should have, and therefore there would be poverty, but God had a remedy for it. Take care of those poorer brothers. So what you do, if uh, you know you're not going to get the money back, just write it off. Write the loan off and understand God will take care of you. His pockets are deep. Real deep. Listen to Proverbs 14 verse 31. He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker. But he who is gracious to the needy honors him. That is God. If you oppress a poor person you're taunting God. But you're gracious to the needy. You honor him. God. God proverbs nineteen seventeen. <laughs> one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the lord and he will repay his good deed did you get that one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the lord I just said his pockets are deep. But this text is telling us when we give to a poor person, we're lending to God himself. It's amazing. Think about that. The Lord considers our giving money to a poor person as a loan to him. He puts himself in our debt. The one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The one who says the gold is mine. The silver is mine. That one says I will repay. Fascinating. In the New Testament era. Comes Jesus. Not only does he teach what he does. Here in Matthew chapter 6. Our Lord practiced what he taught his disciples. We expect that, right? (laughs) During our Lord's earthly ministry, they had a money box. You recall Judas was the treasurer. Not the most trustworthy person. (laughs) But he was. That's just the disciples had no idea who this character was. Only Jesus knew they had the money box and in John 13:29 in part they used that to give to the poor had you thought about that while well, Jesus is ministry you know the creator you know he multiplied food and fed 5000 men plus women 20000 he could just do that but he also had money set aside to give to the poor Jesus did that 1st John chapter Three. There's another text here that tells us something about how to love. The example, the model, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says here, First John chapter 3, verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Christ laid his life down in death for us. and We are, for those believers, fellow believers, laid out our life sacrificially. Verse 17. How, 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 is that? how does that work out? But whoever has this, the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, How does the love of God abide in him? Hmm. How? Here's your brother in Christ. Has a need. And you've got this world's goods. And you say. uh, I'm praying for you. Thanks. Thanks. They might tell you, I don't want your thoughts and prayers. You got some cash. Help me. Back in Matthew chapter six. It's an act of mercy. Act of mercy. It's what Jesus is teaching us here. And he says in verse 2, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Hmm. We're not to give to the poor. So that we might uh, be honored by men. Sound the trumpet. Now we can't really decide... um, dogmatically I think uh, if this is a literal or figurative statement some have suggested that there was a shofar chest shofar was the horn you've perhaps seen it depictions in artwork or wherever it was also known as a trumpet chest located in the temple as the name uh, trumpet chest suggests, it um, was shaped like a trumpet. It was wide at the mouth, and it was narrow at the entrance to the chest, where the money went in to the chest. When people would then contribute their coins, what you'd want to do, you want to walk by, and you had a handful of shekels. You didn't want to discreetly lay it in there. You wanted to toss them in there. Because then it rings. It was all look, look what it's. And you want to make sure it's quite a bit. Yes, it was me. (laughs) Oh man, I'm sure enough holy, righteous, sounding the trumpet, Hmm. calling attention to themselves. But if sound the trumpet was merely a figure of speech and everybody understood it as such. It doesn't affect the interpretation. It signifies attention getting for one's action. We have a saying like that today, don't we? Blowing one's own horn. That's what hypocrites do. Because see, they're in it for uh, the attention. They're in it for personal honor. They're in it for glory that they can obtain. The, the, the hypocrites. Hippocrates. I guess I'll define it now. Hippocrates is the word from the Greek stage in Roman theater and refers to one who wore a mask with exaggerated features. You've seen the thespian symbol. It's, you know, there's a smile and then there's a frown. The thespian symbol you, for actors. That's the idea. The Hippocrates, or hypocrite, was one playing a role. He was a play actor on stage or at the theater. The Hippocrates was pretending to be someone who he was not. And you'll see this word, Hippocrates, throughout uh, the Gospels, and you see Jesus' use of it. And he reiterates it in Matthew 23 over and over and over again as he lambasted the scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy. The hypocrites, the hypocrite, pretended devotion to God. It was all an act, a performance for the human audience. They were inauthentic, obviously. They were spiritual show-offs. They would do it in the synagogues and in the streets. The streets, uh, they, were, they suggest, the scholars do, that there were narrow alleys where beggars would be so that uh, people walked there couldn't miss them. Makes me wonder if the hypocrites purposely went there so I could, ah, there you are. The hypocrite didn't do it to honor God. They wanted to be honored. They wanted to be honored by men. You notice that word there, honored. It's interesting. Because it really could be rendered glorified. They wanted glory from men. The great bishop of Hippo, in the fourth century Augustine said quote, Love of honor is the deadly bane of true piety. Other vices bring forth evil works, but this brings forth good works in an evil way. Hypocrisy is the homage that vice pays to version, virtue. End of quote. They understood the virtue of um, doing things the right way, true piety. That's so why they tried to pretend to be pious, but they were not. They were selfish, a selfless act for a selfish reason. They did not really care about the needy, but are a, uh, they use them as a means to uh, gain personal praise, self-aggrandizement. They wanted to boost their esteem, um, their heft socially in the eyes of others. That's why they did it. They wanted the approval of men. They couldn't have cared less about the honor that comes from God. Religion was their game. It's all about them. And But Jesus says something about those kind of people and warns us about it as well. He says, truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. The bottom of the verse, verse 2. Uh, those words that I just read they have their reward in full um, originally is a technical term provi- which meant providing a receipt marked paid in full in other words if a person or believer seeks earthly applause approval from men and when they receive it guess what they've just been paid in full the heavenly reward is forfeited Jesus says don't do that because all you'll get is what you get from men you won't get anything from the father If you do anything you do for me, for the approval of men, their praise or applause or whatever, you're motivated wrongly, guess what? There will be no heavenly reward at the bama seat of Christ for you for that. A warning about hypocrisy. We've seen an example of hypocrisy. Finally, giving without hypocrisy. Verse 3, in contrast to hypocrites, Christians' acts of mercy given to the poor, you notice what it says here, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This is a figure of speech. Chrysostom, (laughs) golden mouth, the preacher, another great one from history, said this the two hands are obviously different members of the same body and the image of keeping one's acts of goodness secret even from oneself is a hyperbole meaning that the disciple must not give so that he can put himself on pat himself on the back or applaud his goodness end of quote if a disciple should refuse to seek to be self complimentary How much more should he avoid seeking the spiritual celebrity in the eyes of others? We don't pat ourselves on the back. We give God the glory. We certainly don't want others looking at us thinking how spiritually great we are. Notice in verse 4. So that your giving will be in secret. it says and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you if you let me add a little note here if you have the King James version of the scripture it says openly the word openly that adverb's not there in the original what you have in the New American Standard is the right is what it actually says it just says the father will reward you how is that you see, our Father is omnipresent. No act is hidden from Him. He sees what no one else sees. While you're giving, your, your right hand is doing, your left hand doesn't know what's going on, the Father sees it. He's aware of it. In fact, the word uh, reward is a word from the original, which has the sense of pay Payback. The Father will pay you back. We've seen that already in the Old Testament Proverbs. You say when will he pay you back? Perhaps in this life. But I think ultimately heaven. An eternal reward. He'll pay you back. No man will be. God will be in debt to no man. That's how you practice your righteousness. You have no interest whatsoever in men knowing it, plauding you. You don't do it for them. You do it out of love for God and you do it out of love for others in terms of giving. Those kind of motives are honored by God. Speaking of motive, Proverbs sixteen two. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. But the Lord weighs the motives. And may I suggest to you that his evaluation around motives are absolutely spot on. He knows unerringly what they are Jesus isn't uh, precluding that somebody may see and say wow that's wonderful glorify God he is Mm -hmm. saying don't let that be your purpose that they can see you and applaud you do what you do for the glory of God amen amen After all, who cares about human reward when God Almighty will reward you? Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you Thank you for your word, bless you for it. It's clarifying, uh, penetrating truth. Uh, help us uh, sit under, uh, bye-bye, the authority of your word. Our lives will be governed thereby. We'll walk in his truths. That we might magnify your name. By a godly living. Thank you. For the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Recorded here for our instruction. We pray the spirit of God will take everything from his truth. Everything that's true to what he said. Apply to our hearts for your glory. We pray for those in this place who are not true Christians. They've never been born again. They've never come to faith in the the Redeemer. God in human flesh, Christ Jesus, pray that you bring them to yourself. Pray you accomplish your work in their hearts even as you work in ours who believe. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.